All right, well, as we mentioned last Sunday, I ruined a lot of people's day last week when I only gave them half a message in the morning and half a message in the evening, and they weren't the first and latter half of the same message. So, uh, Lord willing, they'll find our feeds and be able to listen to the rest of it. We, we continue uh, looking at the church, and specifically church authority, uh, and this is, this is part two, should be the last part of church authority. I just want to... I'm not going to go back over the first point, but I want to read our text once more. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And last time we covered the first point, which was Jesus provided the body. I therefore, Paul writing, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up from above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would clear our minds and hearts, Lord, bring, uh, bring to remembrance, stir us up, Father, with what we discussed last time, the first part of this message. Help us to recall the previous studies of the church and the importance that she holds in your, your plan for salvation and your deliverance of salvation. And even in these latter times, as the birth pangs have begun, as we heard in Sunday school this morning, Father, help us to understand the significance of the role that we play in these last days. Help us, Father, to be diligent, to give time over to prayer, to stir our own hearts over the needs of the many that we might be a blessing, that the gospel be preached and heard. Help us, Father, to be a praying people. We ask you now, Father, to, uh, to give the increase to your people here, to give us understanding, to give us conviction, to give us application. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last Sunday, we looked at Jesus and his provision of the body, and we look now at the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit leads the body. And I ask you, if you would, to turn over to Luke chapter 3, uh, as we have just a little bit of reading to do to set this up. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 3. And he came unto all the country. This is speaking of, of Jesus here. He came unto all the country. 
about Jordan preaching the baptism, repentance, and remission of sins. And it's not talking about Jesus. I don't, it's talking about John the Baptist. I apologize. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough way shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And we note right away that John the Baptist, the last recognized prophet, he who is making the way straight for the arrival and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, was not preaching a weak gospel, was he? Verse 5 and 6, he's preaching of something mighty powerful, something that's going to level or bring low mountains and hills that it took years to form, as uh, evolutionists like to believe. But either way, they don't come up overnight. We don't see new mountains springing up around Tulsa just spontaneously. But this gospel will also cause flesh, this uh, ravenous, full of rebellion monster that we are, (coughs) and allow it to see the salvation of God according to God's will. Verse 7, Then said John to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruits is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And this is familiar. We read this, I think, last Sunday afternoon, of the, the, or maybe a couple weeks ago, the unfaithful steward or the steward that hadn't been faithful to what he had been commissioned to do. He says, What shall I do? What can I do? And this is the same response of the crowd. Verse 11, He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Sometimes I think I'm guilty of preaching through this chapter and and putting a lot of emphasis on how much more we are to give than we realize. When the first import of what he's saying here is that we are to work, that we are to serve. He talks here of not claiming that we are father or or son of so-and-so or kin to so-and-so, but to labor. That is the focus. Verse 12, Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them, uh, unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh. The latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat unto his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. I want to stop there for just a minute. We have a few more verses to read, but you notice that the, the crowd, not John, the crowd divided themselves into sects. There was the, the group that came up and asked this, and then the publicans in verse 12, and then the soldiers in verse 14. They all divided themselves up with an expectation that there'd be something different for each of them to have to do. 
But John the Baptist was preaching the same gospel, that same powerful gospel referenced in verse 5 and 6, to all. That's our job too. To the weak, to the strong, to the poor, to the rich, to the black, to the white, and so on and so on and so on and so on and so on. We have but one gospel. That is the purpose of this study, is the study of the church and her authority of this particular lesson. There's only one authority. Verse 19, But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus, also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape, like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Now look over. We're not skipping the genealogy for any particular reason, but it's, it's not pertinent to this particular lesson. Look at verse 1 of Luke 4. Because we see the Holy Ghost descending in verse 22, and the Holy Ghost does nothing in vain. There's a purpose for the Holy Ghost. Hear me now, because as Baptists, we get a little squeamish when people start talking about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit and saying He has purpose. But He is a person. He's not a thing. And He does have purpose. He came down upon the Lord Jesus there in verse 22, not just in confirmation of what God the Father says aloud, but also what we see in verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And we know, who know Luke 4, that this is about to be the temptation of the devil. Verse 2, being 40 days, tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And we could go on, but again, those, the rest of those verses aren't necessarily pertinent to this study. The Holy Spirit leads the body. It leads the church. We see the Holy Spirit having purpose for our bridegroom, for Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that he could not have survived this temptation of Satan, and we use the word temptation differently here, and I'll explain that in a minute, without the Holy Spirit. He's our example. He is illustrating for us that we can't without the Holy Spirit. It's not about what he can do. It's about him being an example for us. And when we say temptation, and I know a lot of our Bibles have these subtitles, and it says the temptation of Jesus, and you might put that in quotes, because he's not one time tempted here. Jesus Christ cannot be tempted. But he goes through this for our sakes. He illustrates for us that the devil, understanding Scripture as well, still goes after Jesus, still tries to tempt him. He's doing it now with us. He's had years to see that the saved cannot be lost, cannot be claimed back, and yet he continues. Jesus being our example shows here how the Holy Spirit leads. What was the purpose given unto the Spirit to lead in such a way? That all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's what we see in verse 6. That all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The power of of the gospel, and he who is the gospel is Jesus Christ. This is his power. That is still the purpose of any leadership of the Holy Spirit to this day. He is very consistent. He does not waver. He is immutable, just like God the Father and God the Son. Think again of that powerful promise that we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we read it last time. 
I'll read it for you now. Ye shall receive power, Jesus says to the early church, to those early disciples, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And that's illustrated here between uh, Luke 3.22 and Luke 4.1. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Holy Ghost was to come upon them so that they would be witnesses, so that they could be witnesses, so that they could stand against the wiles of the devil in the name of the Lord Jesus in their hour of need. And we saw it with Paul. Remember the year of Clyden? And, they, and he warned them, we shouldn't go, we shouldn't cross. But when they were out there and the storm kicked up, he said, come and sup with me. Everyone stay aboard the ship. It's been communicated to me that if we stay together, the ship will be destroyed, but we shall live. Think of the power of the gospel to cause 300 plus people to survive, but destroy the very wood element that they are on. The very vessel carrying them out to sea was not required to take them to land safely. We can find a comfort in that, can we not? Because the ship of America is crumbling. But the, the ship of Jesus, the good ship, is not and will not. He does not lead in a manner that would conflict with the will of God the Father. And the Holy Spirit does not lead in such a manner that would conflict with the mission of God the Son. The church is to honor the Spirit by walking in the light, by emptying our days of iniquity. The Spirit shall lead us. Think of the conflict. When we embrace the things of this life and then are being led by the Holy Spirit, if we're indeed saved, we're talking about a saved individual that is embracing the world, which is at enmity with God, but also being led of the Holy Spirit. I was talking to Nate yesterday. He always... Drop some Grandpa Hilly knowledge on me, which I, I love. I didn't have a Grandpa Hilly, in case anybody knew. But he said, the problem with standing between two opinions in traffic is that you get hit by both cars. And he's absolutely right. That is the, the struggle that we have with having love of this world. We miss the promises of God. We miss the very things that are for us ordained for us before the foundation of the world by the creator of the universe. For what? A football game? To sleep in a little bit? To just not have to get dressed and do life today? Whatever the excuse. You are at conflict with that Holy Spirit which is leading you. He has a purpose. He's not going to stop trying to lead you. And we're not saying trying in a way in which he's going to ever fail. But he's not going to stop leading you because you still have desires in this life. He will strip them from you, sometimes painfully, because they don't belong. The prodigal son was to be in the kingdom with his father. He did not belong outside the kingdom. And after he had spent all that was his, along came a grievous famine, and he landed in a pig pit. None of those places were where he belonged. But as he sought to hang on to the things of this life, the Holy Spirit continued to lead and he was brought to himself as we read there in the scripture. Jesus there in chapter 4 of Luke fasted for 40 days and then being full of the Holy Ghost rebuked Satan. The temptation of Jesus was outward only as we mentioned. There was no part of him that was slave to what he was being tempted by. The temptation that we are subjected to should be outward only as well. 
I know that we aren't Christ Jesus, but we also don't need the world. We're in the world, but we don't need the world. The Lord takes care of the lilies and the grass. He can take care of those that He saw before the foundation of the world. It's when we allow sin to take root in our lives and in our church that it takes hold and suddenly He has a ground in the negotiations with us. It's the reason the Bible tells us to not enter into a usury or a trust or uh, what is commonly referred to now as a bank loan. Because we are slave to the lender. Because when the terms of the agreement have to be changed, we have no choice. We still don't have 120 grand or whatever it is that we entered into. So we have to answer to those terms. We need to be diligent in keeping God's house sealed against unrighteousness by repenting of the sin in our lives and getting right with the body. We just heard this morning how much time there might be left. I don't think he's wrong. I appreciate you not putting dates on it because we can't. But I don't think he's wrong. And even some of the crazies who have written books about the coming of the Lord and slap dates on it. I mean, it's within five years of next spring. We're coming very, very, very near. And it still can't touch what we have as saved individuals. Think for uh, all intents and purposes of what the Lord went through as our daily life. I'm just going to read the red words of Luke 4. Jesus responds, It is written that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. This leaves us exempt to famine because we are not meant to live by bread alone. This leaves us exempt from the cares of this life because we have a caretaker. We have a shepherd. Verse 8, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. We have no use for men's traditions. We have no use for a a go-between or a means or a uh, priestly father in this world to give us connection to God the Father in the next. Because we are meant to worship God alone. Verse 12, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I want you to think about this conversation in Luke 4. Satan, as we said, was not going to change Jesus, right? He wasn't going to tempt him away from his will, from his calling, from what the purpose of his being on the earth was. And for all intents and purposes, because it had been written, Jesus was not going to change Satan. So who was that for? Who was the 40 days for? Who was the conversation for? Who was all of that illustrating by Satan of what he could make possible for Jesus, who has a thousand cattle on the hill? Who was that for? Me? Those same promises are made to man by the same devil. Countless videos are available if you want to go out and see some of these singers, these actors, these famous athletes that get to the end of themselves and finally start to admit they made a deal somewhere along the line. Oh, preacher, you're getting into some some swampy land. Well, we need to be real. The devil didn't stop. And we need to be honest with ourselves that if there's demons in the ministry of the Lord Jesus going about that He is uh, dealing with, they're still doing it. I've done a lot of research in our preparation for what we might get into with these outreach opportunities. We're going to see it. 
we're going to see the eyes of these boys change. I was talking to Nate about it yesterday in some of the prison ministries that he had done being a former officer. And he says, you see it. They begin to foam at the mouth, hurting themselves with seemingly little concern for what they're experiencing. To spook us. Because the, the angels of Satan, which is messenger, they also know the presence of the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible says in Proverbs 6, 5, to deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. And what is illustrated there is usually used for Dave Ramsey. That's usually the idea of running from the, uh, the usury or the debt that we talked about earlier. But a hunter wants to kill you. If you're a roe, you're a deer, the hunter wants you dead. He has nothing to gain from you not being dead. The hunter's purpose is to slaughter the hunted. I know it's simple, but I'm painting an illustration here. That is Satan's desire. He can't take our salvation, but he can leave us dead in the water with a weak and embarrassed testimony. What child of the king will confidently talk about what Jesus has done if he himself has run from Jesus so far that he is standing in a pig pen. Oh, Jesus is so good to me. I've ignored him. And I've not done anything he's required of me. And I've fought against the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But you should trust in him. It is the devil's desire that that be our testimony. Where do you go to church? Well, sometimes I go over there. But most times I can do church at home. We are to be the same, not just in fleeing from the hunter, but fleeing from temptation. We are to do the same in forgiving others, in loving others, in being generous toward others, in our concern for others. We've been talking recently about the widows and the fatherless. What is the same? Delivering thyself as though we're being hunted. So loving others as though we're being hunted. Forgiving others as though we're being hunted. If this coming spring is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know about you, but I want to leave with my bills paid. I want to make sure that I have forgiven. I want to make sure that when it is presented for me by my Savior, and boy, everything that's ever crossed my mind, I've repented and just done it right. As I said, it's turning into a study, a series. It seems to be all I do anymore. But this topic that I talked about last week of what a perfect Christian looks like, and we made the comparison with a perfect husband, it's hard. We know it, though. We know what it looks like. We know what, what the, the Lord has required of us. Most of the time, it's not a head knowledge problem. It's a pride problem. Romans 13, we quote this a lot. Verses 8 through 10, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you loved your neighbor like you loved yourself, you would never steal them, their things, their wives. You would never hurt them. In fact, your thoughts would only be filled with how to better care for them. Is that not what we do? 
I rise up and think about how to take care of my body now that I'm on this journey to, to get in better shape. And I'm constantly trying to think of things that are going to hurt me and stay away from them and things that are going to help me and go toward them. But if I love my neighbor as myself, then I'd be doing the same thought process for them. What can I do today that's going to be good for Mr. Rusty Carr? What can I do today that's going to bless him and his wife and his children? What can I do today that's going to bless my wife, my children? What can I do today that's going to bless your children and you and your household? Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans 13, 10. Let us be led by the Spirit that empowers us as Jesus was. Luke 4, 4 illustrates so well for us our need for him. He says, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And word is used interchangeably with Jesus throughout Scripture. Luke 4, 8 illustrates our position before the king. Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Again, who is he talking to? It's not Satan. Luke 4.12 illustrates what our refusal to repent is to God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Every solution was God-honoring because Jesus was not slave to his tempter. Third and finally, the soul serves the body. There's a reason that Disney's language and a lot of Hollywood's language is follow your heart. Make sure your soul's happy and so on and so on and so on. They even point here when the, you know, all the arteries and everything are centrally coming over here. What has been delivered? Consider some scripture with me. I'm going to go quickly for time's sake, but just consider some scripture with me. Psalm 6.6 6 says, Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. What has been delivered? Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At the right hand, at thy right hand, there are pleasures evermore. Saved, beloved, spared from an eternity in hell, we deserve. Our souls have been imparted to the kingdom of heaven. Our souls have been delivered. Something we give very little time to understanding, what a soul is, is that very thing which had been delivered. We are strangers and pilgrims here. But as I read from Ephesians earlier, we are fellow citizens in the kingdom of heaven. What was sought to be devoured? Consider Psalm 7, verses 1-5. through O Lord my God, in Thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me, and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, which is also referenced in Romans, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Selah. The soul is the object of which this lion or Satan, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, is seeking to tear into pieces. Listen to how Peter phrases it. Your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We know he can't steal our salvation but he is seeking to tear our soul to pieces as the psalmist has written. 
Make no mistake of his intentions. The hunter wants to kill the deer. Wants to kill the roe. So don't run as though you're beating the air. Run as if to win. Run this race that is before us. Run, not walk. Pursue after Christ Jesus as though we're being pursued by the hunter. The end of this chase is nigh. We are so close to the end of this chase in which that door is sealed and we are forever preserved. Again, not that our salvation be lost, but everything we've talked over the last three weeks, the blessing of being a servant, the blessing of being trusted, the blessing of being used, the blessing of seeing our purpose in His will fulfilled. Why would your soul be so valuable to the devil? Because your soul serving the body of Christ, the church, is that powerful in the hands of God. This church is God's instrument. It's God's blessing to His people. It's even God's blessing to the community in which He's placed. But it is a powerful instrument in the hands of God. A faithful church serving and working and giving praise to God exercising the teaching of His sovereignty and putting Him in His proper place in our hearts and minds and in the community is a valuable instrument and powerful in the hands of God. You sharing the gospel and encouraging your pastor and praying for your brethren can literally move mountains. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said unto them, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, very, 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 very tiny, ye shall see... Or you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Matthew 17, 20. What we read in Luke 3, verses 5 and 6, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. How currently is all flesh seeing the salvation of God? Through the preaching of God's Word, which is the commission of God's church. Amen. We are powerful, beloved. We are not weak. We are not a small little group of people that is ineffective to the community of Tulsa. We are effective, praying, praying people of God that have been thought up before the foundation of the world by a sovereign creator who has set us in place and empowered us and said, go forth. When he told a dead man, come forth, what did he do? He came forth. We are not dead. We can do more than come forth. We can pursue Luke 17, verse 6, And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. What can be used? The Great Commission, as we discussed, was given to the church. Sowing, the calling to go forth and spread the gospel, to plant the seed via the general call. The general call is not a fancy term, but it simply means the giving of the gospel. If you give somebody today the gospel, you've given them the general call. Watering to serve as witness to a lost and dying world. Watering. Paul said that of him and Apollos, one planted, one watered, but God gave the increase. This is that phrase, effectual call. 
When the Holy Spirit acts on the seed of the general call that had been planted and watered and gives it life. Gives it growth. We can be used. We should be used. We need to be used. The church has a great need for her members to be busy about the business of witnessing. She needs faithful souls going about the land witnessing of what God has done for them. There's not some magic code, some grandiose speech for us to give to the world. We're simply to tell them what Jesus has done. The first knowledge that we have of what Jesus has done is our soul. What has he done for you? It's not selfish for you to say that. What has he done for you? Think about Bartimaeus, the blind man, and now he sees. I guarantee you he told everybody about that. He didn't run through the list of, well, there was Simon and Andrew, their brethren and their fishermen, and Jesus said unto them, come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And then there's John and James, and they were fishermen. And He said, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And then there's Matthew, who was in the tax collector's booth, and he says, you there, come and follow me. And he came and followed him. No, Bartimaeus told his story. I was once blind, and now I see. Jesus Christ saved my life. The Son of David is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And others heard and believed. Not because Bartimaeus was ultimately trustworthy, but because they could see he'd been changed. He was a blind man his whole life, set on the street, turned away from by passerbys. And now he sees. When you have a man given that kind of message, he sees more than the surface. I told you the story of Nate grabbing that football coach's hand and asking if he'd been saved, and it was like Nate could see into this man's soul. Nate, who at the time had a great deal of concerns that he could have been wrapped up in for himself, was concerned about this man's soul. This man probably would have said, I'm doing all right. I'm coaching football. Probably his dream. But Nate had a great concern for his soul. Do we have great concern for the souls of the individuals we run into? It could be, as we said Thursday night, that for such a time as this, we were placed together here in Tulsa. The church needs faithful souls going about the land, witnessing of what God has done for them. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38, as the crowds began to faint, as they began to scatter, Jesus tells his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. If we see nothing else from the outreach opportunities before us, it needs to be that there is an overwhelming amount of work to do and a, devastating, a devastatingly few amount of laborers going forth. We get locked in our minds that we couldn't possibly go do this thing and we couldn't do this thing and somebody else has already done, and do, done that thing. But when you read that missionary letter we just put out there from Brother Enity, you see that there's not a lot of hesitation. How many have read their letters and just thought, how do they get so much done? Because they don't allow room for hesitation. They don't allow room for woe is me parties. And woe is me party is WIMP, by the way. It's an acronym. They don't allow room for that. They say, get thee behind thee, Satan. There's work to be done. 
If we want to see the Lord use us in a mighty way, we've got to get out of those wimp things too. We've got to put those opportunities behind us. And we're going to see some that don't come with us. We're going to see some that say, that road's too hard. That requires too much. And we'll have a witnessing opportunity to say, well, the Lord, with Him, anything is possible. But there are going to be some that don't take that walk with us. Everyone in here has been a part of the ministry for at least a little bit. And even my two oldest have been around long enough to see quite a few who dwindle and walk away. Saying it's too hard. Without God, it is. Without that comforter, that could have been an illustration, right? Jesus could have done in Luke 5 what he did in Luke 4 with the Holy Ghost. He could have illustrated for us him doing it without the Holy Ghost. If it was possible, it would have been atrocious. And it would have been very short. It probably would have been Jesus wept. The Holy Ghost is our powerful comfort. Capital C, he is a person. It is the instrument of God, the voice of God, the blessing of God in our very souls. It gives us utterance in how we are to pray. He seals the promises of God so they cannot leak out, they cannot be lost. We have many opportunities ahead of us to be a blessing. If you cannot physically go out and be that blessing, then you have to be a part of the praying. You have to be a part of the weeping. As these men could tell you, there's things that we're going to see, and Lord willing, ladies, things you're going to see at the girls' home, things we're going to be a part of that will break our hearts. We need to, as missionaries, come back and let the church know, this is a need. This is an experience. This is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. We have yet to been asked to do anything. But men, I would say since Tuesday night, we've been changed a little bit. We have not spent a dime. And all we did was take a tour. Us going to do these things is as much for us as it is for them. Beloved, we read the text Wednesday night about what it is to receive a blessing. Don't let words like blessing and comfort be lost on us who should know them best. Pray for one another. Pray for what's happening this week. It's hard. It's very hard. We've seen it before. We've all experienced it. Pray for these coming conferences. Conferences should not be, again, maybe I'm in the minority and you need to be prayed for on this thing, and I admit that, but I don't feel like conferences should necessarily be just an annual tradition. They should be really wrestled with. I know in our quadrant of the states, we typically see the same group of unfriendly preacher faces at times at these meetings. Have we truly sought the Lord's will in those situations? I'm chasing a rabbit here. Forgive me. But I don't want us to get to the point where we have a meeting in the spring and a meeting in the fall just because we always have a meeting in the spring and always have a meeting in the fall. We should wrestle with these things. And folks, I'm going to ask you when we approach these meetings, is there a subject you want these men assigned to preach? That shouldn't be my decision. I'll do it, or I'll ask them to follow the will of the Lord. But if there's a subject you want to hear them preach, we need to take very seriously the opportunity we have to bring these men in to deliver the gospel message the Lord has given them for us in this community. We have a great responsibility we're going to see things in the next few weeks that will, will break our hearts for a lack of other descriptions. 
This is a very tough month. We shouldn't be surprised when the world embraces Xmas. It's fun for them. They have nothing at stake with it. We shouldn't be surprised when it's promoted and heavily pushed. Satan's been dancing this dance for a very long time. We shouldn't be surprised when we hear that people are rejecting the gospel, that they don't want to hear about this stuff. It makes them uncomfortable. It shines light on dark places, and men love darkness rather than light. This month, of all months, we need to exercise patience. And add to it what? Temperance. And so on, and so on, and so on, like we talked Thursday. Because this is a test for God's people. And really, it used to be confined to more of a 40-day period, and it made a beautiful illustration for Luke 4. But now it's about six months of temptation. Everywhere you go, they're playing Christmas carols. Everywhere you go, there's Christmas lights. Everywhere you fly, there's Christmas lights and have been since he and I flew in October. It is not a trial of your faith. This is an investment. To pursue after Christ Jesus, it's a work. Give thou all diligence to proving your calling and election are sure. That's what we read on Thursday. Giving diligence is a labor. It is a work. There are going to be a lot of things you'd rather be doing, in other words. Brethren, pray for one another. Pray for me. I have family that still do Xmas. Some of them will be here in a few weeks. Pray for us. That the Lord would give us strength. Not to fight it. Not to be combative. But to be diligent. To continue to give them the gospel. To continue to give them an answer for the hope that lies within. And to continue to have Christ first. Let us love our neighbors as thyself. We've been strengthened by the Holy Spirit and built upon by Jesus Christ to do just that. Let us be diligent in our commission. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once more for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. We ask, Father, that uh, the timeliness of these things not be lost on us, Lord. We just ask, Lord, that you would equip us and strengthen us. Lord, give us the... Uh, the utterance from the Holy Spirit of what it is that we are to pray for, Father. Not that we be better prayers, but that we have better prayers, Father. That we actually labor over these things and we give time to it. That, Father, we included, myself included, would be done with these 15 to 30 second prayers. That we truly get into our prayer closets and we lose some sleep over the things that we are praying for. If the end is nigh, if the door is about to close, we've no doubt got a lot of loved ones that we ought to be praying for salvation for. We ought to also be praying, are we the missionary that is to go out unto them? If so, here am I, Lord, use me. Give us strength. Equip us, Father, for the days of head. Be with the remainder of our day and the preaching this afternoon and the singing. Be with the week that is ahead as well. We ask, Father, that you would hear the prayers that we've prayed for the Hudson family considering, uh, concerning DHS, Lord, and the many things that are involved in all of that, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that you continue to cause for our brother to be steadfast and immovable in his convictions of your word. Give him strength, Father, that goes beyond understanding. Give him a peace that cannot be defined. Father, be with uh, Brother Jerry in the endeavor that he's 
getting involved with Father, be with Him in that decision-making and in the committal of that decision. And Father, all the moving pieces that go therein, if it be Your will, Father, let us to, lead us to rejoice. Lead us to be a blessing in any way that we possibly can. Be with Brother O'Neill and his need for work, Father. We've been praying this a while, Lord. We just ask if it be possible, if it be Your will, that You would create a steady stream, Father, to the point where he has to turn things down if need be. That, Father, he'd be able to be comfortable in the life that he has. We ask, Father, for discomfort, though, for the rest of us when it comes to should we give the gospel, the answer should be yes. We know this. But help us to lean into that discomfort that we might draw from the comforter, as we heard here today. Help us to be diligent in the prayers that have been given to us, that we would bring that to you. Be with my wife, Father. We don't know specifically the cause for uh, this, this health scare with her blood pressure, Father, but we, we ask, Lord, that you would reveal your involvement in it, Lord, that you would show us the path that we are to take, that you would help us to adjust our lifestyles in any way that we need to, Lord, that would give her uh, better results. We ask that you be with Zebediah, Lord. We know that uh, his fussiness likely has a reason, Lord, and we just ask again that you'd reveal it, that you'd be with each and every one of us as, with our unspoken prayer requests, as well as those that are on our list. You know the needs, you know the names. Father, help us to comb over these prayer sheets, to add to these sheets that we might have multiple pages that we come before you with every time we pray. And Lord, we ask, Lord, as yourself is revealed, that we give you all the praise and the glory and honor for it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.